Good morning, church. Um, would those of you who were here during the announcements tell the people in your row about what's happening at the end of discipleship class, please? You can do it right now. If you had no one in your row that could tell you this, we are, we are having a fire drill at the end of the discovery or at the end of our uh, Sabbath school classes today. So when you hear an alarm, do not freak out. Head for an exit. We got this in hand, okay? One of the mainstays of Christianity, one of the, the, the anchors, one of the founding principles, one of the things that as a believer in Christ, you, 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 you cannot let go of. If you do, you, you put your spiritual life in, in peril. It is, it's stated most clearly in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, where it says Christ is an exact representation of the Father in human flesh. Jesus is an exact representation of the Father in human flesh. As we think about that this morning, as, as we start there this morning, I want to I start with the idea behind who's talking. We're going to be looking into a particular parable a bit today. We're going to be looking at a, at a section of Scripture, actually, from Matthew chapters 19 and 20. If you have your Bible, you can find that. If you're, if you're new to the Scripture, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. You'll start finding those New Testament books. They're Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you're still in a bunch of really short books, maybe they got uh, Hebrew-sounding names, you're in the Old Testament yet, Keep moving toward the back of your Bible. Matthew's going to start about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. Matthew 19 and 20, um, if, you're, uh, if you're looking in, your, in the Scriptures today, I'm not going to put a lot of texts on the screen, so you're going to need to look for yourself. But if Jesus is, in fact, the exact representation of God in human flesh, then as he's walking around talking to people, you're hearing the voice of God. You got that? Does that make sense? So when you start hearing the words of Jesus in the New Testament, when he starts telling stories, when he starts talking to people, when he starts giving direction, you're hearing the voice of God. So I want you to hold that in your mind as we start through today. Matthew chapter 20, verse 16 says simply this, So the last shall be first, and the first last. Uh, as, you, as you look at that passage, So the last shall be first, and the first last. If you cross the finish line last in the Olympics, what do you get? Nada. If you, if you, if you cross first, what do you get? Medals. And maybe fame if it's, if it's a short race. If it's a long race, no one's going to remember you. Face effects. Really long races, nobody watches. We watch the short ones because we have really short attention spans. The, people run a mile in under five minutes and we can't stay long enough to see a guy do that. Crazy, huh? If you cross the finish line into the kingdom last, what do you get? A kingdom. If you get there first, what do you get? The kingdom. Okay. Okay, just so we're clear. Today we're talking about a parable built on a question spurred by an encounter aimed at the heart. Got it? It's a parable built on a question spurred by an encounter aimed at the heart. Clear? Perfect. Okay, the cultural background of this parable that's 
built on this encounter that spurs on a question aimed at the heart. The, the background, the cultural background, first century believers, first century believers, those who are beginning to follow Christ, those who never followed Christ, hold this sort of cultural understanding that if you are wealthy, you are favored by God, this is evidenced by your wealth. If you're wealthy, you're clearly favored by God, and that's clearly evidenced by the fact that you're wealthy. It's a little bit of cyclical reasoning, but you can, you can understand what they're saying, right? If you're, if you're a wealthy person, you're blessed, and therefore God must be blessing you. And your wealth is a symbol that you're being blessed. Is that always true? You see, today we look at it and we go, no, 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 no. We have, a, we have a whole group of people who are mad at the wealthy. There's a, there's a cultural milieu building in our country where we're just mad at people who are wealthy. Why? Because they're wealthy. We should be mad at them. Why? Because they're wealthy. Their wealth is evidence that we should be mad at them. Right? Is that always true? Hmm. In the culture and times of Jesus... This was very deeply held. His disciples hold this opinion. Almost everyone around him holds this opinion. If you're wealthy, you are blessed by God. Your wealth is, in fact, the evidence for that blessing. He cares about you more than the poor person. He cares about you more than the person who's been harmed or the person who has some deficiencies. So the encounter. The textual neighborhood for us this morning. It's chapter 19 of Matthew. Just a little piece, just a little statement to get us started. Someone came to Jesus with a question. Happens a lot in the Bible, right? Someone came to Jesus with a question. And he said, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now, picture this guy. He's, he comes, he's, he's dressed nicely. He's worn his suit and tie today. He's looking good. He's, he's probably got a few people with him. Uh, people of his status typically had a little bit of an entourage. People who walked with them, helped them, carried, carried their money bags and stuff like that. They, he, had, he had some people usually. And so he comes up to Jesus. As the description is, uh, is in uh, Christ's object le- lessons, the picture has him kneeling reverently before Jesus. Now this, this seems a, an odd thing for you and me, but honestly it's a fairly common thing for a respected rabbi. You would stop, you would kneel down, you would be very reverent in the place of somebody who is, who is a respected leader, a respected teacher, a rabbi. And so he comes before Jesus, he, he hits his knee, probably just one, bows down to Jesus, and he begins to speak. These are his first words. He says, uh, uh, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus starts listing deeds. You notice that? Jesus starts listing them. He, he starts listing the, so the commandments. He starts down through the second half of the commandments, telling them the things of, the, of, the, of God that he's supposed to do. Don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat. He starts going down that list. And as he's, don't, 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 uh, don't seek after your neighbor's wife, or don't take your neighbor's wife. But the one he leaves out is the last one. Don't covet. He doesn't talk about that one. He just hits those, those first ones. And when he finishes them, the guy says, hey, okay, good then, I'm in. Thank you for clearing that up for me. I can go my way happily. I know I'm, I'm good. Now, what brings you to ask that question? What would cause you, if you knew Jesus was in town, to go bow down before Jesus and say, what do I have to do to be saved? You're looking for validation of, the, of your salvation, right? You have a question about whether or not 
you're saved. So he comes to Jesus with this question, what do I have to do to do this? Because it's been bugging me, you know. You know, I got, I got a comfortable bed. I just went down to the sleep train. I got one of the ones that's adjustable. And it's, I, I, I got, I got, a, I got a, the, the, that, that memory foam top thing and the air ride thing underneath. And I, it's, it's, I got the best bed, but I, but I was just having trouble sleeping. So I, I, I heard the guy on the radio say that I needed my pillow. So I bought my pillow. I got four of them because I typed in the fish at the end. And so, I don't know, I'm doing the other three, but I'm good. i got pillows everywhere. i got the nicest bed that a man can buy. But I'm still having trouble sleeping because this, this question keeps haunting me. I don't know. I'm just not sure. I'm just not positive. Jesus gives him the list. You know, do these, ten command, do these, these commandments. And he goes, okay, cool. That's what i got to do. I'm good. And then Jesus says, but if you want to be perfect, if you want to really achieve spiritually, if you want to reach the pinnacle of spirituality, there's one more thing I'd like to talk to you about. Go sell everything you have and come follow me. I, you know, I, I, we, we pass this invitation like it's light. We pass this invitation like it's no big deal. This was the 13th disciple. This is Jesus recruiting Judas' replacement before Judas needed to be replaced. This is the 13th guy. He says, sell everything you have. Come and follow me. You know what the Bible says next, right? The Bible says that the man went away sad because he had a great deal of money. You know, if he was poor, go sell all you have is not that big a deal, Right? If he was broke, go sell all you have is not that big a deal. I heard a pastor tell a story about, a, uh, about an issue with tithe. Your tithe is one-tenth of your income. The Bible talks about giving one-tenth to, uh, to care for ministry. And in, 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 in that tenth, in that, di- in that division of the tenth, this man comes to the pastor and says, you know, pastor, I'm having a hard time with tithe. And he goes, you know, I've known you for a long time. You you're a faithful giver. You give your tithe. You've been doing it ever since I met you. And he said, yeah, but when I met you, I only made about $1,000 a month. And to write a check for 100 bucks a month was no big deal. You know, I could, I could do that. It was easy. I could, I could, I could write a $100 check. But he said, he said, you know, I've been doing really well lately. This month I'm going to clear $25,000. And that, that writing that check, just, it just it's hard for me. Could you pray for me? So the pastor said, sure, I'll pray for you. Because, Lord, please remove your blessing from this man so that he can afford his tithe. <laughs> I don't know if that's a true story. I think, it's, I, I think it's a parable. The man went away because he had a lot. He left because he was, he was loaded. He was scared. He didn't want to get, get rid of all his stuff. He, he had a lot. And Jesus says, man, you want, to, you want to really reach the pinnacle of your spiritual life? I can see that this is real in you. I can see that you really want to follow. I can see that your heart is in this, that you're spiritually called, that God and the Holy Spirit are working in your life. Stop. Stop everything. Stop trading your, on Wall Street. Stop doing whatever you've been doing. Just sell everything you have. Sell it all. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. Be my 13th disciple. And the man goes, oh man, that's a nice offer. 
but I, you know, I, I have responsibilities. I, I have, you know, stuff I have to do. I just, I, I can't. And he goes away sad. Jesus then turns to the disciples as the man is walking away. And Jesus, the Bible talks of Jesus' affection to this man. The Bible speaks of Jesus uh, sort of being drawn to this man. And as he goes away, Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, it's, it's hard. It's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now you know who the rich are, right? The people who make more than you. Right? That's the rich. Definition of the rich, people who are making more than me. Those are the rich people. Jesus said it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow, okay. Have you ever thought of yourself as the rich? In the first world countries, they all, or the third world countries, they all think of you as rich. Everybody in the third world country thinks you're rich, whether you think you are or not. They, their, their understanding of your way of life is that you're rich. Your house, it's not made of mud. You're rich. Your house, uh, it stands up after a rain. You're rich. There's no leak. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no bandit. There's, there's a cell phone. There's a television. There's change in your pocket. You have a car to drive. You're rich. By standards of the world, you're rich. By standards of the rest of the world, you're rich. It's tough for the rich to make it to the kingdom, he says. Hard. Well, when Jesus says that, the disciples are completely confused. Because remember that cultural problem? Remember that cultural understanding? The wealthy are the people who God cares about. Those are the ones who God is, is most watching over. So they, they must be the ones going to heaven. It's hard for them to get to heaven. Who's going to get there? Because you've just turned everything upside down. Jesus, your economy is messing with my head. Jesus, you've said that the people I'm sure are going aren't going, so who gets to go then? Well, the question comes from Peter, as you might expect. He seems to be the mouthpiece of the disciples. Now, I don't think anybody assigned him that job. I think he volunteered, and I think he volunteered vocally. I'll do it! I was telling somebody this week, I was telling my son, my son's a teacher, and he said, the little kid who drives him crazy is a kid who stands there going, Mr. Groff, 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 Mr. Groff. Drive me nuts. I told him that when I was in the third grade, Miss Brindley, who was supposed to be the toughest teacher of my life, ended up being my favorite teacher forever. Or fourth grade, Miss Brindley would ask a question. I would throw my hand up as the question was exiting her mouth. And I would say, oh, 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 I know, oh, oh. If Welcome back, Carter is familiar with you. I was that little kid. <laughs> and she would look to me. I was usually sitting either by her desk or up in the front right-hand corner left on her left where I could be isolated. <laughs> and she would look at me and she, she would say, okay, well, let's give somebody else a chance to answer this time. Oh. Didn't dawn on me that that was even a possibility. <laughs> Somebody else would want to answer. I knew that answer. Peter's that guy. Jesus starts telling a story. Peter raises his hand. Peter, I haven't finished the story yet. Okay. 
Peter, start, Peter hears Jesus start to ask a question. He raises his hand. I haven't asked a question yet. Okay. That's Peter. So at the end of this statement, they're, they're all confused. All the disciples have to be confused because this is the norm in the culture to believe that anybody who's wealthy is certainly loved by God. Their wealth is proof of it. Therefore, they have to be going to heaven. If they can't go to heaven, it's hard for the rich. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. There's a whole sermon on that, which we're not talking about today, but just know there is. Peter, in the midst of that confusion, says, Well, Lord, we've, we've done that. We, we've given up everything. You just told that guy that if he wants to reach the pinnacle, if he wants to reach the spiritual pinnacle of what it means to be a follower, sell all that he has and go and follow, come and follow you. Look, we've given up everything to follow you. Don't you like the next line? This is a New Living Translation. Man, that's a great, great English representation of what he said. What will we get? If, if you just told him if he wants to make it to the top of, spiritual, of the spiritual uh, 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 hierarchy, sell all that he has, come follow you, we did that. We, the 12 of us, we, we gave it all up, followed you. Levi dumped the tax business. We dumped the, the, the fishing business. What do we get? What do we get? What's in, what's in this for us? Jesus begins to explain. I, I love the gentleness of Jesus. Don't you? Over and over again, we see it exhibited. If you're seeing the gentleness of God, who, of Jesus, who are you seeing? I just gave up my punchline. You're seeing the gentleness of God. You're seeing the heart of God. If, he, if Jesus is gentle with people like this, this is how God re- behaves. This is how God responds. This is how he reacts when we act silly like this. Lord, Lord what am I going to get out of this relationship? Lord, I, I get it. You're, you're God. You're cool. Everything. I've been following you. And what, so, so, so what do I get out of this? What, what am I going to get out, out of this relationship of ours that we're hanging out with? Uh, you know, we didn't really find, sign the prenup. What's in this for me? So he tells him, he, he starts going, you know, all of those of you who have left houses or land or family or father or mother, will receive a hundred times more in my kingdom. Now, obviously, that's a little bit of hyperbole, right? Anybody want a hundred fathers? hundred mothers? hundred of your siblings? Hundreds of your siblings? So it's a little bit hyperbole, right? Jesus is, Jesus is saying, you will receive a great deal more. The benefits of following me are are a hundred times bigger than any loss that you think you've had, Peter. And that's when he says, therefore the the first shall be last and the last first. Right? That's where our parable starts. That was all introduction. A king hires a bunch of people to go to work. First, I wanted you to hear a rabbinic parable. Before we do the biblical parable, which you're familiar with, hear the rabbinic parable that compares to it. A king hires a bunch of workers to go into his vineyard. Here's the story. He hires a bunch of people to come to work in his vineyard. They all show up. They all start working. One guy is superior. One guy is amazing. He watches this guy work. He's like the best person he's ever seen work a vineyard. Everything about what he's doing, no wasted motion, no jabbering. Everything's perfect. He's moving through the vineyard. Everything's going just perfectly. He, he's, he's awesome. He's so amazed that the, amazing that the king watches him. 
The king watches and this goes on for a couple of hours. And he finally, the king goes up to this guy who's just blowing it away. He's so much better than anybody else in the vineyard that the king goes up to him, takes him by the hand, walks away from the work and spends the rest of the day talking to this man. The rest of the workers, typical work day was 12 hours. The Talmud's description of the day laborer says you start at dawn and you finish when the stars come out. That's a long work day. Now, in the wintertime, it would be shorter, obviously. But they would divide whatever time they had into 12 segments. And that's why you always see the same kind of description. 12 hours, 12 hours, 12 hours, 12 hours in a day. It's not because they all live in Hawaii and it's actually that way. It's actually more like Sacramento, where the time is. But they always divide it into 12. So the rest of the workers spend the rest of the 10 hours working. And it comes to the end of the day, and the king pays all of them the exact same wage. And the workers begin to grumble. They say, come on, this guy worked only two hours, and then you guys walked off and, you know, played pinochle the rest of the day. Why why, why are we getting paid the same as him? Why does he get the same wage we do? He only worked for two hours in the whole day. This is the rabbinic tradition. This is the rabbinic teaching. Here's what the rabbis said. Because this man... Because of his superior abilities, did more in the first two hours than the rest of you slugs did the rest of the day. A little bit different from from Jesus' parable, isn't it? It's a little bit of a different picture. The rabbis say he earned his full wage in two hours. It took you ten more hours just to catch up, just to make this fair. So the king who in the rabbi's story would also be God, separated him off to relax for the rest of the day while the rest of you caught up. That's the story, the rabbinic story, behind Jesus' story. So Jesus begins his story, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Now, you would do this. You would go right at the beginning of the day because you want good people, right? You don't want to go later in the day because it's going to be kind of a picked-over crowd. You want to go in the morning, first thing in the morning, and you wanted to find the good people. So he does. He goes very early in the morning. He collects some people. He went early in the morning to hire some workers for the vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage, a denarius for the day, and sent them out to work. So gathered these first, this first group. We're never told how many these groups are, but he gathers a group and he sends them out to his vineyard to go to work and they go to work. Now, did they agree on a price for the day? They did. This was the normal standard wage of the day. This is what everybody got paid. And so this was what was to be expected. They went, they were day laborers. This was their only work. Did they have work before this guy showed up? Are they going to get paid if he doesn't pay them? No. Should they be thankful for having work? I don't know, maybe. When you don't have work, you get hungry. So the end of, the, uh, the end of this first paragraph has a group of people hired under normal, normal circumstances to work. Now, we don't know what motivates this guy. We don't know why he does the next thing he does. But in a couple of hours, he goes back to the village square, wherever he's found these people, and he goes back looking for some more people, and he sends another group, who are actually three hours later, into his field. He he finds a group, and he says, go back to the field, go to my field and work, and I will pay you whatever is fair. Because you haven't been working the whole day. You've missed the first three hours, so go back, 
Go to my, go to my field, do whatever, do what you're told, and I'll, I'll settle up with you at the end of the day, whatever's fair. He comes back three hours later, does the same thing, makes the same agreement. He comes back three hours later, does the same thing, makes the same agreement. He comes back three hours later, does the same thing, makes the same agreement. He comes back at the end of the day. It's the 11th hour. There's an hour left to work before everybody gets off. And he says, why are you guys still hanging around here? Good question. Are you interested in an engagement? Are you interested in being involved? Are you interested in going and working? The answer they give is, no one hired us. We've been here all day, and no one hired us. I don't know what these guys look like. I don't know. They're the skinny guys. I don't know. They're all the left-handed people. They've got to go the wrong direction down the aisle, down, the, down through the vineyard. I, I don't know what it is. My wife's left-handed. My mother's left-handed. My father's left-handed. Whatever it is, they're still there at the end of the day. He says, go to my fields and work, and I will settle up with you with whatever is fair. Right? Do you, do you like the word fair? I like the word fair. I like it when things are fair. I've always liked it when it was fair. When I was a little boy, I grew up with my little uncle for, well, let's see, the years from uh, three to about nine. So about six years, I grew up with an uncle who's four days younger than I am. He is little than me. They call us the elephant and the mouse. I was, I was born big. He was born little. We, he never caught up. And so this, our, this relationship we had had one really clear factor between my grandmother and her daughter, my mother. Whatever one of us got, the other one got. Our birthdays were four days apart, so we got the same things for our birthdays. You get it, you, you, you'd go, your birthday cake, you, we got, you know, we'd sit there, ready to go, we look at the packages, all identical. <laughs> Christmas came, we got the exact same things. If there was a train set, there were two train sets. So we always had to open everything at the same time. And we had to open the same present at the same time. So that you didn't get heads up on what was coming. That was fair. That was fair, right? Our parents were trying to make sure everything was fair. Don't you wish life was fair? It's just not, though, is it? It's, in, it's rarely fair. Jesus said, I will settle up with you whatever is fair. So the, kid, so the, the landowner goes back. If it comes to the end of the day. I don't know. The stars come out. They can't pick grapes anymore. Maybe they finish the field. Maybe the motivation of this guy is to get all the grapes in as quickly as he can before they go over the hump on their peak sweetness. And so they're picking like crazy. Maybe they finish the field. Whatever the reason is, they're done. When they are done, he lines them up to pay them. He starts with the guys who've only been working an hour. He starts with the people who just got there. They've hardly broken a sweat. It's the end of the day. It's nice and cool. Little breezes blowing off the ocean. It's like a vacation picking in the last hour of the day. They've hardly done anything. These other people have worked as the day was cool. And then as it got hot through the middle of the day, that, those hours from two, three, four, five, when it's the hottest part of the day. And now as it's cooled off and getting comfy, these dudes show up. All the lefties are out there. And he says... Thank you for your labor today. And he gives them a denarius. 
These guys, not knowing what they were going to get, are so excited. We got paid a full day's wages for an hour's work. An hour's work. They're so jazzed. How gracious of you. How kind of you. Thank you. And they're, they're just they're talking to each other. It's like, man, look at this. Wow, this is awesome. So the next group comes up. They, they work three hours longer than those guys. And, and they get up and hand them a denarius. And they're like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And the next guy comes up and they're three hours longer than those guys. And they're like, yes. Now the guys at the end of the line who signed up at the beginning of the day to work the whole 12 hours, they're watching this and their, their eyes are getting big. Like if he's paying these low lives, what's he going to pay us? And they get all the way through the line, and they're standing there in front of the in front of the the, uh, the landowner's sort of accountant and clerk. And he's as they're standing there in front of him, waiting to see what happens. They look at at, the, at what at the man's face, and and he, and he reaches in the pouch and he pulls out a denarius. And what be, what was excitement becomes disappointment. And he gives them the money that they had agreed upon. And now it's not enough. And they turn to the landowner and they say to him, we've worked for you through the heat of the day. And these guys, the last group only worked an hour. Nobody here worked for you as hard as we have. I, I don't understand. You've made them, listen to what he says carefully next. You've made them equal to us. The landowner says to them, Don't I have a right to do what I want with my money? Or are you angry or envious, depending on what your Bible translation says, are you angry with me because I'm generous? Jonah was sent off to, uh, to tell the folks in Nineveh that, that, that God was going to judge them if they didn't straighten it up. He didn't want to go. He fights off, goes in the well. You know the story. He goes, ends up, everybody knows the story. He ends up swallowed by a whale, finally gets thrown up on the beach, literally. And then as he, as he heads finally to Nineveh, gets there, shows up, does the preaching. He, you know why he doesn't want to preach? Because he's sure that he's going to tell these crazy Ninevites that God is mad at them, he's going to judge them, and then God is going to forgive them and relent and let them go. He's afraid God's going to be generous and make him look bad. And sure enough, he does. They repent, God is generous, and Jonah looks bad. At least that's what Jonah thinks. Anybody ever been frustrated with God's generosity? You think about this, it happens in a lot of ways. There's, there's the group who built the church. It'll never happen here, but in other places. The group who built the church sees another group come, right? And it's 20 years later, it's 25 years later, it's whatever later. They've, 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 the blood, sweat, and tears that went into getting this building. They tell stories about it. Victorious moments when they finally got the... the the, the, the last brick in the wall, the last 
the last shingle on the roof. It's, it's, it's a story, great history among this founding group. They built the church. They paid for the church. This is their church. And now, as they've aged and as they've moved out of, uh, out of, out of mainstream work in the congregation, other people are stepping in and, and they don't seem to appreciate all the work that went into it before. And they look at these people and they're a little irritated with God supplanting them with them. Never happened. Or, or you've been in the body for a long time. You've been a part of the family of God for a long time. You, you were raised up in the church and, you, and you've sacrificed since crater roll. Things you wanted to do, you didn't do because you wanted to uphold a certain thing and you behaved in a certain way. And, and, and then some people come along who don't measure up to the measure you've been measuring since you were a little tyke. And, 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 and they get into the church and somebody lets them in and you look at them and you go, God, you can't let those people in. Jesus says, the last are first. The first are last. But as I said, if you're crossing through the threshold of the kingdom, who cares? And besides, who decided who was first and who was last? You see, the disciples had the whole thing upside down, right? They had the, the economics of God turned over. They, they were assuming the wealthy were first because they were wealthy. And Jesus said, nah, it's really hard for them. You know why it's hard for the wealthy? It's not because of their money. It's because of their lack of need. You know what makes it difficult for people like us in the first world to make it across the threshold, to commit ourselves to God, to surrender to Him? It's because we walk away like that guy, that, that wealthy man. We walk away thinking, oh my, I, it could cost me so much to follow Jesus. I've got a lot to lose in this Jesus gig. I don't know. I don't know. What will my friends think? What, 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 what will my bank account be like? What will happen if I change my, uh, my attitudes or my life or the way I go about my business? Jesus' economics are completely upside down and, 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 it's, and it's more difficult for a person who doesn't have great need to come to a God who provides all you need. It's more difficult. But I think everybody's getting across the line as he describes it. Now, and I'm not talking universal salvation. I'm talking about the first and the last as Jesus describes them. They're all still in line. Does the order of arrival in heaven really matter? I don't think so. Do we really want fairness? Be honest. We want fairness for others, mercy for us. Right? We want... We want we want God to make sure He settles accounts with those other people appropriately, but we'd really like Him to, to you know, fill in some gaps in our accounting. Right? Did Peter and the rest of the disciples gain nothing from having been with Jesus for three years? 
What would you trade right now? If you were offered three years with Jesus, what would you trade for it? What would you grant yourself? Okay, I'll, I'll do this. If Jesus came to you today and said, sell all that you have, come and follow me, would you do it? If he said, sell 90% of what you have, keep 10%, would you do that? If he said, leave your work, leave your passion, leave your, your experience, leave what you've been doing, leave your country, leave whatever, and come with me three years, face to face, we're hanging out, would you do that? What would you trade for three years with Jesus? Because the disciples did that, right? They traded everything for three years with Jesus. Did they gain anything? Would you, take, would you trade places with them? Would you want what they had? Do you right now think, man, I would love three years with Jesus? Well, that's what they got. That's what they had. Three years with God in human flesh. Peter says, what's in this for us? And, and, I, and I, I kind of wish Jesus' answer would have been, me? Hello? Peter, you've been hanging around with me for the last couple of years. Actually, almost three years now. Did you get nothing out of that? Can you imagine? Would you be indignant? If, if somebody came to you, if you, if you had, been, had been teaching and training and pouring your life into somebody for the last three years, and they came up to you at the end of that three years and they said, Hey, you know, I kind of left everything. I kind of, you know, dumped my whole life before. And now I've been following you around, doing everything you tell me, uh, trying to figure out what it means to be, a, uh, you know, just like you, to learn everything you know. Uh, what's in this for me? Would you be a little bit offended? Jesus for three years that's a pretty good deal is grace really causing jealousy does it does it mess with you that God that God could could let people in that you don't approve of does that mess with your head a little bit I mean, there's an entire theology out there that tries to define for God who's getting in. I don't think that's our business. But does it mess with you just a little? Are you worried about some of the people who might be in your neighborhood in heaven? What about your ex whatever? Lord, it's okay if she comes, just not in my neighborhood. Cross town. So the kids can visit her. What about your crazy banker who ripped you off? What about your friend you used to have? What about... What about... Anybody bug you? Anybody that you're just questioning about this grace thing? If God let them in, it might bug you just a little... You see, God doesn't play by our rules. Nothing seems to work by our rules where God is concerned. He keeps messing around with our rules. keeps doing things differently. keeps changing the way we're, about, we're going about things. Peter wants to know about his reward. God says, it's spectacular. <laughs> but your perception of who's first and last, deserving or undeserving, well, that won't bring you any satisfaction because you're not going to understand. 
You're just not going to get this. There are probably going to be some missing that you hoped and expected to be there. And there are probably going to be some there that you can't imagine how they got there. The good news is, it's not up to you. And the one who's deciding knows everything. And so I leave you with this. You, the corporate you, the global you, the, the you that is bigger than our imagination. You. You, the remnant that's always more than we thought it would be. You, the follower, defined not by the other followers, but by the one they're following. You, those who turn their ear, tune their mind, and walk the path with me. You, you who have an interest in being with me. You, you who believe, you who decide, you who have accepted that Jesus is God, Jesus is Lord, and you are not. You, you, all, all of the you that you can think of, you are saved by grace. Unmerited favor. You are saved by grace. Because God favors you even though you don't deserve it. You are saved by grace. Through faith, through a willingness to trust Him. Through a willingness to put your, your heart in His hand. Through a willingness to go where He tells you to go. To go where He leads you to go. To take the risks He puts out in front of you because you know you can trust Him. You, you who are willing to follow me are saved by grace through faith. And that has nothing to do with you. Not of yourselves. Because if I let it be of you, you know what you would do? You would walk through the gates of heaven saying, I did it! Lest anyone should boast. It's a gift of God for you. You. And all the yous you and I can imagine. I love the fact that it's not up to you. And it's not up to me. That God doesn't play by the rules we set because He's God. Let's pray.